For the past two years here at Tartan Talks, we've presented special Black History Month programming for all of our listeners to enjoy and learn. Last year, we talked about the importance of Black History Month. Why do we still celebrate the icons from the civil rights movement? Why is it important to teach Black History Month and black culture in schools today? This year, we're taking a little different approach where we're going to be talking about a population of African Americans that are often caught at the intersection of gender and race for black history and black culture. When the civil rights movement resulted in monumental legal change for just 100 years after slavery, African Americans continue to this day to experience bias, discrimination, and prejudice at all levels of society. The special group we're going to be talking about today is LGBTQ African Americans, most notably the black transgender community and social justice. We're going to be talking about how black transgender community became a catalyst for social justice. In 2020, there was an unprecedented number of murders of trans individuals or gender non-conforming individuals, the majority of which were black transgender women. The presentation we're about to play for you explores the intersection of gender and race for black trans individuals and the implications for social justice. The presenters are Dr. Adrian Dixon from Edinburgh's Counseling Program, who chairs the Frederick Douglass Institute here at Edinburgh with Dr. Kavon Bruce, who's also in this presentation. Joining them is Dina Staley, the CEO and founder of Trans Uniting, Dr. William Kohler from Edinburgh, and Dalen Hooks from the Central Outreach Agency. So join us as we talk about black transgender community and social justice. And for more programming about Black History Month, visit edinburgh.edu bhm. Thank you for joining us in Tartan Talks today for our special Black History Month presentation. This is Tartan Talks, a podcast from Edinburgh University. I'm your host, Christopher LaFuria. Each month, we'll take a look at individuals who make Edinburgh an exciting, diverse, and profound place to discover your passions. All right, well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Edinburgh University Black History Month um, program that is being sponsored by the Frederick Douglass Initiative. I'm Dr. Adrian Dixon, and I'm a co-chair of the Frederick Douglass Initiative at, Ed at Edinburgh, and my co-chair, my partner in crime, Dr. Kavon Bruce. I'll let you introduce yourself, Dr. Bruce. Hello, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Dr. Kevon Bruce, and I teach in the counseling program as well. And I am the co-chair of the FDI at Edinburgh University. Uh, my research agenda is focused around post-traumatic um, growth in people living HIV AIDS. I also do retention, inclusion, safety, engagement work for Black students and anything in between that. <laughs> Um, I'm excited for this conversation and I look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you, Dr. Bruce. Well, let me just share a little bit about the FDI and what that is. It's the Frederick Douglass Initiative, and we are part of a larger collaborative across the PASHI system. Um, this year, you know, it's such an unprecedented time. We wanted to um, partner with the um, Diversity Commission at Edinburgh University and offer a series of conversations and dialogues that would be reflective of some of the things and some of the challenges that we have 
have experienced nationally as well as locally. And so a number of um, programming will has been sponsored by the FDI in collaboration with the um, Black History Month Committee through the Diversity Commission. Um, next week, we'll be having a conversation around um, the um, I Fear For My Life and um, They That Mourn. And those are a collection of works and, and research that faculty members across the PASHI system are working on and really speaking to some law enforcement, policing and social justice issues that impact um, communities of color, particularly black and brown communities. Dr. Rhonda, uh, Rhonda Matthews is the principal investigator here at Edinburgh University and she'll be joined by her research assistants. And then I'll also be a part of that conversation and joined by one of our students who's working um, with me, Harrison um, Dixon, who will be talking about the Constitution and facilitating his, his role in facilitating critical conversations um, locally around this and across the system. The following week, um, we'll have uh, a group of faculty members who will talk about integrating um, you know, Black History Month and multiculturalism and diversity initiatives in curriculum and why it's so important that we not see this as you know standalone courses or standalone opportunities but that they're weaving and woven through um, all of the initiatives and we create really high impactful opportunities for students and in our communities. Um, and then lastly, we're going to have a, a critical conversation about healthcare and how it impacts Black America. And so a number of physicians um, uh, will be joining us in a conversation, and particularly as we're discussing COVID and the impact of the COVID slide um, on um, communities of color and underrepresented communities that we'll be talking about that. So some really nice um, conversations that are going on. Tonight's conversation is a very important conversation. Our role or goal tonight is to talk about um, the LGBTQ community and um, especially black trans and the impact on the social justice movement and, and the impact um, on uh, African-American history that sometimes because of some of the challenges and historical taboos we have not talked about. So um, we'll be talking with that, talking about that today. Um, I'm joined, or we're joined, Dr. Bruce and myself, by um, some very esteemed panelists. Um, first, uh, I'll go to my left at the top of the screen, which is Mr. Dalen Hooks. Dalen is the director of the Central Outreach. Um, program here in Erie, and we're excited that he's joining with us. If um, you followed him on Facebook or his social media, you know that he is an activist and has really been um, uh, working to promote this initiative and to bring awareness to this. D Welcome, Dalen. I'll let you introduce or share a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Um, I um, just recently moved back to Erie to um, bring uh, Central Outreach Wellness Center at LGBT. Focus Medical Clinic um, to the community. Um, I do a lot of activism work alongside of Trans Uniting, um, and I'm just really happy to be here. Thank you. 
We're also joined by um, a very esteemed colleague, Dr. Will Kohler, who's joining us. He's a faculty member in the social work department at Edinburgh University, and he um, is a respected clinician in our community who specializes um, uh, with his work in terms of the LG LGBTQ community. Uh, Dr. Will, you want to share more? Sure, thank you. Um, I am excited to be here both wearing my social work department hat. Uh, this year I get to serve the department as department chair and um, my research there really focused on, focuses in on um, LGBTQ violence and bullying um, on campuses and in communities. And my clinical work um, serves HIV positive population, LGBTQ population, and um, in a particular focus of trauma-informed care, uh, and then trauma-focused care to help people that of different intersectionalities uh, deal with their past trauma and learn and grow from that. Uh, so I, I, I'm also excited to share uh, I'm so happy that Central Outreach Wellness Center is up in Erie. It's, it's, it's something that we've needed for a long time. So, um, and they've generously uh, allowed us to move in next door to them. So we're going to be opening a site. Our, my practice is called Journey to a Trauma-Informed Life. And uh, hopefully within the next two weeks, uh, we'll be moving in and it won't be just rooms full of furniture wrapped in plastic. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for being with us today. And we're joined by um, Stina Stanley, who is the founder and director of Trans United in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Dina, you wanna talk a little bit about the work that you do in Pittsburgh? Sure, so um, again, I'm Dina Stanley. I'm a black trans woman here in Pittsburgh. Um, I do everything trans here, uh, from housing and healthcare to job placement, um, case management, everything, you name it, we do it for uh, trans folks here in the city. Well, welcome. We're excited that you're willing to share with us. I mean, all of your respective um, experiences and talents really speak to what we wanted to focus on um, in our FDI initiative, which was really talking about uh, research and activism and teaching. And, and Dr. Will, you started talking um, a little bit about your practice and some of the things that you've worked on in your research regarding trauma. So I'll throw it out to the group just in general to talk about, um, you know, to address in general your thoughts around um, trauma and what has been the impact to the LGBT community as a whole and why activism is so important when you think about trauma um, and what we know about it. Um, why is activism important? Um, for me, I'll start like for the trans community. Um, activism is very important because it's getting a message out there. It's getting, you know, we're being heard, we're being seen. Um, I think that uh, right now we're dealing with folks who are scared or not really understanding about the changes that are happening with gender, because gender is so expansive right now. And, you know, that's why there's so much fight back. And it's while we're in these streets and we're fighting, you know, for the rights, we're also educating other folks in the process. So it's imperative that we're out there. Um, so that message could be heard on a louder speaker. Um, yeah, but that's about what I got. Daylene? 
Um, if I could just add on to that, I think that a lot of people fear what they don't understand. Um, and there's a lot of miseducation out there. So um, my biggest part of activism is showing support and showing um, trans and non-binary folk that we're showing up for them and that we're presenting ourselves for them. Um, I think that a lot of folks feel unsupported and that also adds to their trauma. So this activism that we've been doing um, in the streets is also a support in building kind of a second family. Um, I've met so many folks um, while I've been out um, and I've been able to connect folks to folks while I've been out. And that has been, uh, we've kind of created a community of activists um, who are like second line support for a lot of the people that we that we meet. And a lot of the folks that we that we have met, we've been able to link through services, link mm -hmm. through services through our activism work. So um, that's something that I'm extremely proud of. Thank you. Um, Dr. Wu, how, in, in what ways do you see when, you know, both Dina and Daylin are talking about the support systems and building those resources from your private practice, have you experienced um, working with individuals that trauma, this has been traumatic for them? And, you know, what are some of the things that we need to know or, or um, what are areas of awareness that we need to be uh, promoting uh, when we have opportunities or platforms around the implications? Yeah, thank you. I think as, a, as an ally, I'm, I am always looking for ways to empower folks and telling their, their own uh, narrative from an empowered perspective after they've had opportunity to heal and reconnect with a community um, that that they felt like they were perhaps ostracized from before or outcast. And so I think that empowerment is um, a big part of what we do and what we see is needed, not just to do that individual healing uh, and reprocessing uh, what you've been through from a trauma-informed perspective, but also to connect you uh, empower you to have your find your own voice and to share that story of um, growth and survival and then reconnect with with a family a family of choice so thank you thank you Do dr bruce you've done um a lot of work in schools that's one of your backgrounds uh, professionally is as a school counselor you know have you encountered or young people in terms of their um embracing or development or trying to reconcile their sense of identity have experienced, you know, had those traumatic events. I mean, Dr. Uh, Kohler was talking about working with um, folks around bullying and what that experience has been. What's been your experience with young people in schools and how prepared do you feel schools are to support young people as they evolve around these fluid identities and some of the challenges that go with that? Uh, I just, I think it depends on location. That's the first thing. And if that state and the laws are, you know, encompassing of those people who identify LGBTQIA+, then they have a better chance of having support in the school system. But if you're in a state where people don't, aren't exposed to anyone who's anywhere on the spectrum, then um, I think 
they're unsure of how to proceed forward, how to support you best. And also their own assumption, worldviews and biases come into their work, which it shouldn't as an educator. But I've seen, for the most part, I've seen positive outcomes for support. I've seen students who were questioning, students who came out to parents and you know us as the stakeholders, we were there to support them in their, their process, whatever that was for them. And if I had to put a number on it, it's 80% of it has been successful. Thank you, thank you. Um, you also raise um, you know, another um, dynamic, which is around practice, laws, policy. You know, where do you all, or other group feels that there are gaps in terms of um, issues around policy and practice and, and where can we support initiatives or where do we need to focus our um, support to be allies and um, particularly around policy and practice? Um, oh. Okay, go, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, bringing me back to when I was in uh, the school setting, um, the, one of the last schools I was in, it was a middle school, and we had a student who um, was beginning to identify um, changing their pronouns, and they wanted access to a gender-neutral bathroom, and at the time, the school wasn't in support of that. So uh, the counseling department, we end up rallying and um, making a, a fuss and we then uh, let that child use the staff bathroom. But I think what the school board said was that the legislation wasn't there, that they didn't need to support this student. And that just, that's my thing to drop into then, you know, if anyone has any more information on what's happened since then, because this was a few years ago, then jump in. So um, I'm just gonna piggyback off, off of that a little bit. Um, so what we do need is uh, bills put in place to protect trans folks and LGBT folks. Um, so a lot of lobbying, a lot of uh, legislation, a lot of people getting involved that way. Um, like for instance, here in Pennsylvania, like what you just said, we need a non-discrimination bill put in that in, in place for, for situations like that because then that wouldn't happen at all whatsoever. Um, in certain counties, um, like here in Allegheny County, um, in a borough that I stay in, Philadelphia, they have ordinances put in place, but that's not good enough. We need a, a, a federal level bill put in place for our you know, put in place for non-discrimination for folks to know that it is not okay and that you know we are going to be protected by the government. Um, I think that folks know that there's no protection and they feel like it's okay. Again, like what I was saying um, before, there's just this, this constant battle with, with gender fluency right now because folks don't want to um, really educate themselves a lot of times or they're scared to educate themselves. So uh, there's, there's a lot of battle back and forth and with that comes a lot of trauma and a lot of violence um, that happens a lot within a community. I, I also like to say that um, I was um, contacted in the past to have conversations with Pittsburgh Public Schools in, in Glisten around bathrooms um, and um, 
signage for bathrooms, like what's popular, what's, I mean, I mean, what's proper, what's offensive and different things like that. I think that there's a lot of schools and school districts who don't have policies and procedures around gender, around pronouns, about, and around discrimination. And I think that people try to shy away from these conversations because they're uncomfortable to have. But I think that as um, things are changing and evolving, I think that these are the type of things that need to be brought up in conversation at school board meetings so that they can we can get ahead of it before we get behind it. Um, I, I can't stress enough that there's so many young trans and non-binary kids coming out in schools and they need a support system and they need to be able to feel comfortable being who they are. Um, I've witnessed bullying against um, young trans kids and I think it's because people are not being educated at the right ages around these things. And um, I try to have as many conversations as I can about this so that people can prepare themselves and people can put policies in place to protect these kids. You know, um, so a good uh, point. I'm sorry, Dina. And um, no. uh, after you probably, um, some comments, some further comments on this conversation. Dr. Bruce was trying to jump in here, but it, it, you raise a good point. And I just want to point this out because I had a personal experience with um, uh, an organization, an entity that I'm connected with. And I, we really ended up talking about the bathroom situation for a long time. And it was not that people were necessarily opposed to it, but I do think people um, did not have information and were intimidated be, because of the lack of knowledge or understanding. And um, it, it was a struggle for me because, you know, having gone to professional conferences in large, you know, cities or, or communities, just ACA, APA, whatever, it really, in my mind, was, oh, it's no big deal. Like I go to, you know, um, gender neutral bathrooms all the time. Like when we're, I'm at conferences, cause right, what's the bathrooms that's always backed up? It is, you know, the woman's bathroom. And so for me, like when, when I was going to the bathroom, I didn't care where I went, you know, as long as you'll come into my space, I was okay with that. But it really was very eye opening about what was behind the concerns that it wasn't just, um, you know, people coming into a gender neutral bathroom. And so the, the amount of time that we had to spend in terms of really being able to, I think, um, let people express their concerns and talk about it, but it presented an, an opportunity for education. So I would agree. I think, you know, the more we can bring awareness and, and where I was like, I don't get why we spending so much time. And then it hit me why we needed to spend the time for people to understand and to un, you know appreciate what it might be for someone else who is not in those rigid categorical kind of gender identities and what that experience might be like if I don't have a place to go where I feel safe like you know others are playing around with that safety dynamic but I don't feel safe and what does this mean for me so yeah I think I, you know that's so important that we figure out ways to advocate and lobby for additional opportunities of awareness and education. Um, and I do think when you start talking about young people, people start to get very um, concerned about what messages and what narratives were given to young people, right? So those values start to um, kick in. I'm sorry, Dina, you were gonna jump in here. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, thank you. Um, I was just going to say, um, also supporting folks um, like myself, uh, well, I'm not going into politics, but like just trans folks that or LGBT folks that want to get into politics, you know, um, putting us in those positions because we are the ones who have this experience or live this life, you know, so, you know, putting folks in position, supporting them in that role you know, to make these changes. Because a lot of times there's nobody in that position that can really understand what we're going through. So how are they gonna be able to make that change? People can tell you things, but they're really not lived in this experience. So it's a little bit harder. And about this bathroom situation, um, that that's kind of started around the time that they did uh, marriage equality. So once you, when you, when you get, you know, that 12 steps forward, Sometimes you get 10 steps back. So they start attacking the trans folks um, about the bathroom issue. People go to the bath, they restroom just to use the restroom. That is it. And it is so sad that all of this extra stuff came up out of that. But that's what happens when you start pushing and persevering and, and things start changing. People don't like change, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to jump in and say, I think another area that really needs some policy and practice improvement is in the area of the curriculum that we're teaching. And, uh, you, you know, at, at best, we have um, young people coming up in queer bodies and not knowing and not feeling comfortable um, and maybe being singled out because the curriculum and the, and the teacher teaching in the 10th grade health class is like, and then, and then all bodies are different and all, you know, and, and then they point out the one trans person or gender expansive person or, or the one person that has already this dysphoria or something. So that's the best case scenario that I've heard in our schools uh, about teaching about sex and health and different bodies and, and, um, worse is, I mean, it, it can just go far worse. So I think that, um, yes. And also the curriculum, uh, just about how it should be that you have to wait till 10th grade to learn about different bodies when that should be from kindergarten on up through that bodies are different and, and, you know, that's, that's another area that I think needs a lot of improving um, is curriculum and how that's put forward um, to some very conservative school districts and places in our communities and in our state and country. Again, not to get into politics as Dina said, but you know. Can we actually jump into politics for one second? Because we're talking a lot about the youth, which is very important. But I wanted to speak about, I know Biden had signed the executive order when he got into office that was tailored to the trans community. Does any, is anyone familiar with that executive order? And is it actually doing the work that it set out to do? Because I'm not 100% familiar with it. What I know about it is, that he signed an order and I think it was for non-discrimination in the military. Did it have other things under there? Can somebody? So it, 
Yes, sure. Um, so it was a ban um, for trans folks to uh, be in the military. So if you were an active member, they, you know, you were not allowed to, you know, you were stripped and just different situations, different things like that. Um, once uh, Trump got into office, um, when when um, Obama was in office, you know, that's when, you know, they put that into law that trans folks could be in the army. Um, so the executive order basically just uh, granted trans folks back all of their privileges and rights um, within the service. Uh, and yeah, the, that's basically that way. The, but really when they do the executive orders to me, it's it, it looks nice and everything, but it's about the, the groundwork that you're doing in your in your counties, in your city. So a lot of times folks need to, um, it, it's, it's cool to do federal, the Fed thing, but really focus on what's happening locally because those are the positions and, and people that are really making the changes that affect us right now. Thank you for um, shining light to that. So you said Bruce, earlier. Can I, can I jump in? I'm sorry, real quick, because it's so interesting you brought that up. Part I was thinking about what do you all think of the legislators who have been elected and you know that have this representation of identity across the LGBTQ community? And then what do you all think about our former um, health secretary who in her elevation? to the national team and, and what's the impact do you think that will have in general on advocacy um, around social justice issues for, for this population, this community? Um, I would definitely say that uh, for like the, the LGBT people, folks getting into office is amazing. Um, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, us being in there, we're able to make those changes and have those conversations. And this is my life. I've lived this. So when I'm talking about this, this is not nothing that I've seen in the streets or heard about. This is my life. So that's amazing that we have folks in, in there that can really fight for us. Um, they've been in, in those positions and basically in the struggle with us. Um, and as far as um, Dr. Levine, oh my God, that's amazing. You know, um, now we have a person that's in, you know, in a high position that can really fight for, you know, housing and healthcare the way that it needs to be for trans folks. That is a, a really major, major barrier for trans folks. And um, with that, you know, sky's the limit. But right now it is a major barrier for us. Uh, we're at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom when it comes to anything, any services or anything. We're like extremely marginalized as trans people. So with with uh, Dr. Levine being in, in that position that she's in, she can really start making changes as far as healthcare and as far as housing, in my opinion. And it just looks, you know, it, it gives people like myself a beacon of hope, you know, if she can be in these positions, then the world is really changing for the good. I just want to add that it's really hard to be discriminatory. And uh, when you have someone like Dr. Dr. Levine right in your face doing the work, you know what I mean? It's kind of hard not to support this community when you have someone that you have to work with in order to get things done. And I think that it's gonna open a lot of um, people's eyes to the community and um, how, um, how like well-versed our community is. And hopefully um, with her being in that position, um, more people will get educated 
um, and more hearts and minds will be changed by the work that she's able to do in this new position. I wanted to share some experiences that I've worked with some of the clients that uh, we've seen in the practice um, regarding when when people are elevated into positions where they can be more visible. Um, sometimes that causes a lot of fear, um, particularly on youth. Uh, I have had a, I'm working with a trans young man from um, Waterford area. And when th there was some transphobic and uh, hate speech directed towards Dr. Levine uh, posted on a, a billboard and this young man was, you know, fearful for his life. And so I think that there's that, there's that hope that as they're elevated, they will, um, you know, raise the, the level of awareness across the board. I think it also um, means that as allies and as support people and as people that wrap around more vulnerable people, uh, we need to be aware that we need to be reaching out and helping and supporting them because they feel sometimes more vulnerable and highlighted uh, in in non-supportive communities from the backlash. And so I, I agree that I think it's it's wonderful that Tyler Titus is president of the school, Erie City School Board. Uh, I think it's wonderful, Dr. Levine, all of these roles are um, needing to be filled very importantly, but I think it also means some of the more vulnerable people are scared by that because it draws attention to them, they feel. Yeah, I was just going to say that's a great point, Dr. Kohler, that the attention and um, um, that it brings, that that can be very intimidating. And there's some reality that people then project and they, um, the confabulation that goes along with that, that it's somehow everything becomes the individual's agenda around that. And, you know, as a person of color, I can um, um, relate to that because I do think that when there's issues around, you know, uh, people of color, African-Americans, African-American women, it was like, okay, because I have some representation of that or present in that way, it gets confounded that that's my agenda all the time. And that's, the, you know, that's all I think about. And it, and people then project those things back onto me um, that may they may be experiencing um, in other settings. So it's a great point that there may be folks who um, may not be as protected or may be somewhat more fragile. And again, that can be a role that we can support them and, and recognize too, um, not to put more pressure there. Because uh, sometimes we do that and not necessarily think about how we might assign pressure to them and expectations. Yeah, to talk about pressure expectations, backlash, and then talk about people of color all in one. I think um, if you guys are familiar with Zaya Wade, um, I wanted to bring her up and I had a question for the panel because I don't know, and, I, and if it happened, then let me know. I know that she changed her name and her pronouns, but I don't know if they ever release any information on whether she is actually transitioning. And I wanted to, and even without that information, the black community was in an uproar, like she's too young, these parents are forcing it on her, Gabrielle Union is forcing it on her, and like all of these things. And 
it's funny because as a black family, they were supporting her and whatever she decided, but the community outside that doesn't pay the bills had an issue with her being so young. And I know the LGBTQIA community has said a long time ago that someone can be born the way they are. So even with transitioning, do you feel that there is an age that's too young to transition? And then also the first question, is they actually transitioning or is she just, um, did she just change her pronouns? Um, so, Go ahead. Okay. Um, as far as um, too young, no. I don't think that, that you're too young, too old. You know, you know who you are. And um, when it comes to like transitioning, gender is fluent. So it, it's not about um, any type of transition at all whatsoever. It's who you are kind of like, it, it, there is not like, okay, the, she's transitioning to a, a woman woman or she's transitioning into, or, or you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever, whatever. It's just, that's their pronouns. That's how they're going. And that's just what it is. It, it, it's really just, gender is really fluent. So it, there is, I, I, don't, I don't know what, how to, to frame it or word it, but gender is fluent and it, re it really doesn't matter. It's not really a transitional type of situation. It's just gender is fluent and that is, that is her pronouns and, and who she is. Um, I just want to add that when people come out as trans, um, regardless of what age, um, that does not mean that they are immediately um, going to start taking um, hormone replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. um, it's acknowledging that I'm a woman, I've always felt like a woman, or I'm a man and I've always felt like a man. That is I'm just a person. how I'm going to present myself from this day forward. Um, I think that by changing your pronouns and changing your name, you're acknowledging who you are. You, and this is how I'm going to start presenting myself. Um, if I was going to transition to female and I'm going to change my name and I'm going to change my pronouns, um, I'm doing that to open up everyone's eyes to who I am. I may start dressing more feminine, but I may not, um, I may not change my clothes right away. I may start, um, you know, the process, but that does not mean that I'm going to start the hormone replacement therapy. I see a lot of adolescent youth um, who is trans um, change their name, change their pronouns, change the way that they present themselves, and little by little, they begin their transition. And transitioning is not just um, a medical thing. It's not just hormone replacement therapy. Um, it's a mental thing. Um, it, <laughs> there are so many layers to transitioning. Um, there are so many layers to being transgender and coming out as transgender. Um, a lot of folks um, will start the, the blockers, but not start the hormones um, um, when transitioning to female at a young age. Um, there's a, a guideline for um, HRT for, for youth um, that, that folks should follow. I have not seen in any publications um, uh, Zaya Wade or her family come out about like if um, she's taking hormone replacement therapy or if she started uh, transitioning around um, uh, with medicine. Um, but I, I think that um, personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that out there um, so, so soon either uh, because she's so young. Um, but um, I just wanted to note that um, when, when someone says they're transitioning, they're starting here first. 
um, it's a it's a it's a renewal of who they are. They're coming out as who they are. And the the first step is the is the pronouns. It, it is the name. It is the way that they present themselves. It is the the um, the the way that they affirm their their clothing. Um, and everything else is just a process. Yeah, thank you for that. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jody Patterson, and she has a son um, who I thought it was interesting, who's like the opposite of what we see as mainstream transitioning. Her son name is Penelope. That was the birth given name. She was born a female and then decided to come out to her mom and then say, I am a male. And then they were trying to pick a name for the child. And the child said, well, my name is Penelope. Even though he is now male, trans male, he still is gonna keep the name that his mom gave him. And I thought that was very interesting. And they have a book about it. Um, the true story of Penelope, a boy named Penelope, if you guys want to read that. Thank you. I think it's so interesting that, you know, when we're talking about this, you know, it, it just resonates with developmental, you know, um, development identity models. And so, you know, when you think back to those like around race and around other um, dynamics is about like people just discovering who they are, you know, you know, as a clinician, as a, um, you know, educator, definitely, I certainly can appreciate these dynamics that it's just evolving. And it's just an individual um, you know, discovering who they are, whatever that looks like, you know, and I do think there are times that um, sometimes we ask questions and we're not understanding the, the implications of that and, and, and what the impact may be or long-term impact. I, I remember my niece very, um, you know, long ago, I, you know, it was a, something she did. She was a little girl and I, and I was actually being smart. I was like, who do you think you are? You know, like, stop it. <laughs> and she was like, who do you think I am? You know, and it just actually spurred this conversation with this then five-year-old <laughs> around her sense of who she thought she, you know, who she was. It, you know, she took it literal where I was like, you know, get yourself together, little girl. <laughs> she was, she took it very literal that I was asking her, about who she was. And it was just fascinating to me as I had this conversation with her about who she saw herself as and how she described it. Um, and it, it was more around race and other things, but that, you know, it, it was more fluid. It wasn't in terms of what I thought she might've said who she was and how she was seeing the world and, and really how she thought the world saw her and was responding to her was actually shaping her sense of confidence about expressing those things. And I say all of that to say that as a parent, you know, it does get a little dicey. Like people do, you know, even though you want people to be healthy and, um, you know, to, to those families who had the courage, I love that series, I Am Jazz, to um, help their, their young people um, evolve. And if you, if you watched early on the I Am Jazz, like the parents weren't necessarily on board with this. It wasn't that they were like, okay, we're gung-ho, we're gonna do this and support it. I heard this mom give an interview and it has just sat with me. What the mother ended up saying was, I struggled with this. I knew as a family, we were going to struggle with this. But if it meant that I was going to lose my child, I would much rather gain a daughter than lose my son forever. And so what she was saying was she, she was reading up on the research 
about young people who struggle with this when they don't have support systems and the numbers of suicides. And she, she was not going to allow that to happen to her child. And so she was willing to do whatever to support and to understand where her child was and figure it out. And so, but I think as parents, you know, that, that can be um, difficult. And so we go back to education. How do we provide education and help people understand what may be happening developmentally? And if you're too rigid that the child may be um, may choose to, re, to, to retreat and not express feelings and struggles. And it can lead to some adverse kinds of responses because they feel alone or they feel abandoned or they feel shameful and guilty about what they're experiencing and what's going on in their life. So, so what do we do now? We've talked about this need for education and we talked about policy and practice. What do we need to do to put it in place? How do we make this happen? Because it's not just enough that people are at the table. To me, it's kind of like the Biden thing. Everybody was like, get Biden in there. The world is going to be different. It's like, okay, now Biden, what you doing? What you going to do? How do we make it happen? Because I think having people at the table is great who have identity and who have um, lived experience, but it's also a little unfair that all of that that we put on their shoulders um, and sit back and expect them to turn it. What do we need to do to continue to push this forward as allies, as act, you know, activists, and to ensure that the movement continues literally moving forward? Continue having conversations uh, with folks in, 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 in uncomfortable situations, you know, with family members, when it brings it up, if you see it on TV, just continue to normalize it, that trans folks are not a threat. You know, the LGBT folks are not a threat at all whatsoever, just normalizing that, um, I would definitely say, and just um, elevating folks, but educating yourself as well. Um, and like when you meet a, a trans folk, a person, you know, um, I always tell people, you know, maybe start with your pronouns or something that's kind of inviting and letting folks know that it's okay. You know, when you start to use your pronouns, it's really important. Like, hey, my name is Dina. My pronouns are she, hers. And, and begin a conversation because um, people sometimes they'll let their guard down and really have a conversation with you. And if you slip up, you know, and you apologize and move forward from that, you know, it, it, it won't be a big ordeal. But just be kind to other people. Um, educate yourself. Have conversations and continue doing like uh, panels and, you know, which what we're doing right now this is what we can do you know because it's unfair in the world right now people are unkind and you know they're uneducated as well so we have to educate folks in order for the change to happen i, I agree with you i think that conversations and education um is the first step and i also think that um the burden shouldn't be on this community to constantly educate and um, fight for change. I think that uh, we also have to teach people how to be allies um, to this community. So when you educate yourself on pronouns or you educate yourself on what's going on in the, in the world with this community, take that back to your job, take that back to your church, take that back to your colleagues, take those things that you've learned back to your friends and challenge them to be a part of the right side of change as well. So if you're working somewhere and you notice that there's not gender neutral bathrooms. And you've seen articles about this. 
I think that you need to raise that conversation with HR or whoever that you know can make a change for that. Um, if there's not uh, community groups or if there's not um, uh, groups for, for these type of conversations um, in your workplace or um, at your school or at your church, create them um, or put the bug in someone's ear who you know can start that fire and who you know can take that and run with it. And that's what I do. I challenge the mold everywhere I go. I challenge the structure everywhere I go. Um, even at my niece and nephew school, when I hear about certain things, I put my two cents on it. I'll send a few emails. Um, when I'm at the hospital, if I see that there's no gender neutral bathrooms or if I come across someone who I've seen some um, um, misgender someone, I'll stop, I'll have a conversation and I will send an email the next day um, because I, I take passion in that and I think that it's important. Um, to make people feel comfortable everywhere that they go. And I think that everyone has a right to feel comfortable walking in who they are. So I think that um, if everyone can adapt that mindset, these won't be uncomfortable conversations uh -huh. in your future. <laughs> I also wanted to say like the, the, the late great John Lewis always say, if you see something, say something. So if you see a situation, say something, let's make that change. Well said, everyone. Um, well said. I mean, I think that, uh, again, um, there are times that people ask questions because they're trying to wrap their head around it. And um, years and years ago, I remember having a conversation with a family member and it was like, oh, you know, I wasn't judgment. It was a judgment at all, but I was just trying to like understand so that I could be um, supportive. And from my perspective, I was asking a question and my um, family member immediately said, maybe it's not for you to understand but it's just for you to be present. Period. And it helped me. It helped me. I don't have to make sense of it. I don't have to understand it, but can I um, accept and be responsive? That's all, be present. And so I think I, I love um, your comments, everyone. That's so um, exciting to hear that. I think, uh, again, we look for ways to be um, advocates, to be, um, uh, resources to the community. And certainly, you know, when uh, from a, as an Edinburgh faculty member, this is one of the reasons why this was so important is because much of what we do as faculty members is that we're one, um, we're researching, right? We're researching areas. We're trying to bring awareness. We're trying to bring information about specific responses or interventions. And so it's very important to us, and, you know, Dr. Uh, Kohler and Dr. Bruce who are here, this, these are areas that um, they research in. It also is about teaching, educating, and certainly advocacy. How are we supporting these initiatives and, and moving it forward? Um, you know, so uh, I appreciate all of you here. I certainly appreciate our participants who are um, on the call uh, this evening. And now, you know, we'll open it up if there's any last comments or, or feedback. I have a couple of things I want to show the group before we end formally, but certainly want to open it up for additional comments um, or questions. I just wanted to say, I wish we could just stay on here and talk for a couple more hours because I do have questions, but I feel like those would take us well beyond. So, so this was good. Thank you very much for allowing me to be here.
Thank you, Dr. Will, for being a part of this. I, I actually have a question. I hope it don't take us long, but um, I just thought about, I forgot to ask this question. What, what do you all think about some of the challenges in, in particular the African-American community and even the Latino community, that this has not always um, been well received? And how do we help people navigate that? Not that we're going to change some of the thoughts and values around that, but how do we help um, uh, folks who are on this continuum of identity? How do we help them navigate that and feel supported? What can we do? Um, I just want to chime in on this because um, it, it's kind of um, important to me. Um, I grew up um, very, very, very involved in the church. And I know that young African-Americans um, who are trans and non-binary or may um, just be a part of other, um, other parts of the LGBTQ community have a hard time with finding themselves um, through religion. And I think that um, we need to be more protective um, um, of our youth um, I think that um, when we identify folks um, or people um, come out in um, younger ages, we need to get them support, um, even if we don't know how to support them. Um, and um, I think that that is a space where we could spread more education around um, the community and around pronouns um, because Oftentimes, um, I find a lot of youth who have um, been cast away from home um, drop into my clinic, and they're like, "The, they're like, I can't go get help at church." And I'm like, "Why?" They were like, "That's the one place I should be able to go, and I can't go there." And the fact that I have had a lot of youth tell me that in the past year um, is kind of like um, alarming to me. And so when I go into um, those spaces, I really try to spread as much education and leave pamphlets and leave cards from my clinic and my business um, and leave cards for TransUniting and other advocacy organizations that I know of um, so that when um, um, those type of um, situations arise, people know about um, resources that they could share um, with the youth because um, that's really when the trauma um, forms for youth, when they don't feel like they have a support system and they don't feel comfortable talking about the things that they're going through, um, mm -hmm. or they don't feel comfortable um, um, sharing what's going on with them and their thoughts um, around um, gender. Um, so um, I really think that uh, faith-based communities need more conversations and need more help with um, how to um, get our LGBTQ youth um, support. Well said, definitely well said. Um, I, I, for, I think that a lot of the youth, they get it, but it's the adults that are the problem. The youth get it. These youth, they really, really get it. The adults are the ones that are really pushing these initiatives a lot of times, and then it starts to switch the, the minds of the children a lot of times. Um, so I just, I really feel like that we have to start educating, well, folks have to educate themselves, um, do a lot of research, educate yourself and educate people around you, adults around you, because it's us, the adults, that are, are really influencing these children because the children really don't have a problem with it. But 
when you're at home and you and your parents, you see your parents looking at something on TV and they see a trans person, they say, oh, that's a man. And what is he doing with a wig on and X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. Then you start, you know, that's when that, that, that hatred and, and everything starts to really build inside of you. It's just, it's just like racism, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You're not, you're not born with it. You're taught it. Great point, Dina. Years ago, I used to do a, a training, um, it was a curriculum, Unlearning Racism. And it, it was really about allies and um, bringing awareness, but really about how we start to establish those kind of, you know, patterns and belief systems and then reinforce them and mm -hmm. things that we do and um, things that we don't do or say, you know, it could be the opposite. It can be reinforced even with our silence and why it's so important to be an ally. Um, I just want to share, hopefully I can do this very quickly, uh, real quick with the group before we end this evening about folks who might share um, an identity that we might not have thought of, who were contributors to the African American um, community, um, but had identity somewhere on that LGBTQ um, continuum and why, you know, it's so important that we um, um, are aware of this and mindful of the rich history, um, in particular, as we're celebrating African-American history, Latino history, black and brown communities um, of what the um, contributions were I just wanted to share a few because sometimes I think that gets lost um, about identity relationships, what that look like. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to end with some major contributors and, um, who reflect um, great things in this community, this population. Um, again, to everyone, thank you so much. We might have to do a part two to this. I'm with Dr. Kohler. Like, we need to talk some more. There's some more things that we really didn't get to an hour, really does not give us the time. Um, I especially want to thank um, Dana Stanley for um, participating. She is the founder and the director of Trans United in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So thank you so much. Dalen Hooks, who is the Erie Director of the Central Outreach Wellness Center. Thank you again for your participation and, and um, being with us. Dr. Will Kohler, faculty member and chair of the social work department um, and also private practitioner who specializes in working with folks. Um, his practice. Uh, tell us again, Dr. Kohler, what's the name of your private practice? Journey to a Trauma-Informed Life. Absolutely. Thank you again. Dr. Bruce, who is my co-chair um, and my partner for the FDI. Thank you all for participating and being so transparent um, and sharing on this evening. We encourage you to join us um, for the remainder of the month on Thursday evenings um, at 4 p.m. We'll be having these critical conversations that really just bring awareness. Certainly, we don't um, we cannot really address the, the breadth of what needs to occur on, this, on these topics. 
topics, but we want to encourage you to participate with us and share, and we hope that we'll be able to come back to um, conversations like this evening and expand more on this so that we continue to bring awareness and we can demonstrate to the community at large of our um, appreciation and um, um, our willingness to talk about this, to be an ally and to bring awareness. Thank you all. We appreciate um, your participation and we look forward to your future um, engagement with us and participation with us. Have a great evening, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Good night.